This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. Today we will talk with Bishop Andrew Cousins of the Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota, who is leading a three-year Eucharist revival project on behalf of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Bishop Cousins served as Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis from 2013 until he was installed in Crookston in December 2021. Before becoming a priest, he served as a traveling missionary to young people around the country with Twin Cities-based NET Ministries, and after serving with NET Ministries, he joined the Companions of Christ, a fraternity of diocesan priests in St. Paul, and he worked for St. Paul's Outreach, leading college Bible study groups. So he knows a thing or two about evangelization and outreach. Welcome to the show, Bishop Cousins. Thank you, Chris. I'm delighted to be with you. Great to have the opportunity. What are the goals of the Eucharistic Revival Project? You know, we really hope to... um, invite and to seek renew to renew the church in the United States through an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. And we want to affect the church at every level. So it's a, it's a three-year revival that we hope will affect the church at the level of the diocese, at the level of the parish, also at the level of the nation. And our goal is really to bring, you know, healing and conversion and unity through ex- allowing people to experience Jesus in the Eucharist. So The goal is to help us focus on what is the real heart of our faith, to be strengthened in that, so that then we can become missionaries of that great truth. When does that all begin? Yeah, so the big official kickoff for the National Revival is June 19th. And so on that day, a diocese around the country will be having Corpus Christi processions. And uh, it's a way to sort of mark our belief in the real presence for sure but also this idea that we're bringing Christ to the culture. And, uh, you know, Pope Francis talks a lot about bringing Jesus outside the doors of the church. And in a Eucharistic procession, you get to do that quite, quite prominently. And so we've asked dioceses around the country. And I think, you know, certainly more than a hundred dioceses will do Eucharistic processions on June 19th. And uh, that begins really what we're calling a diocesan year, which is an opportunity for dioceses to have various kinds of events, different dioceses are, are doing different plans, but um, an opportunity for dioceses to have different kinds of events that will really motivate leaders. And we, we hope during that first year that um, people will become what we call Eucharistic missionaries. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a weekly newsletter that begins on uh, June 19th. That'll uh, kind of be the heartbeat of the revival. We'll call it the heart of the revival. And It'll contain inspiration and catechesis. And whenever, for example, a new course is put on the Eucharistic Revival website, we'll have that opportunity to promote that through the weekly newsletter. And uh, it'll be a great opportunity for people to stay in touch with what's going on around the country throughout the revival. And then we hope to invite people in that first year to become Eucharistic missionaries by taking a a six-week course on the Eucharist. So we're working with various collaborators to produce a really high-quality course 
that uh, will help deepen people's understanding of, of the Eucharist. And of course, we know understanding leads to love. So mm -hmm. the hope is that those people in the first year will, will begin to motivate and form the people who are in the base so that they can then begin to help us in the second year. And what does that second year entail then? Yeah, so the second year is, the, is what we're calling the parish year. And the goal of this is to really reach those people who are connected to the church already, but they don't fully understand the gift of the Eucharist. Our own studies show that a certain percentage of people who are sitting in the pew every Sunday, they come to mass, but they don't fully understand the gift of the Eucharist. And so we want to help really focus on how do we uh, reach those people who are already call themselves Catholic. They maybe even practice the faith if irregularly. And how do we help them understand the gift that Jesus gives them in the Eucharist? Because if they can come to understand that, it really sets their faith on fire. I often say that the Eucharist really provides kind of two keys for people in today's world. You know, the first has to do with discipleship. We're really focused as a church because of Pope Francis's emphasis on missionary discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. And to be a disciple, the first thing is to recognize that Jesus is the Lord and my life belongs to him. And he got, becomes supposed to become the center of my life. And so that can happen when I encounter the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. I realize Jesus is really here mm -hmm. and he really desires to come to me. And he's really calling me to surrender my life to him. And that beautiful encounter can happen when I discover Jesus's real presence. The second thing is the Eucharist really teaches us the essence of the Christian life, which is to make my life a gift for others. Jesus, you know, said this so clearly at the end of his life, you know, love one another as I have loved you. This is his summary of the Christian life. And then he says, um, I have laid down my life for you. I call you my friends and I lay down my life for you. And so it's really this call that we have as Christians to lay down our lives in service of Christ. And that is the outflowing of a Eucharistic life. The more I learn how Jesus has laid down his life for me in the mass and how he gives himself to me in the mass, then the more I'm able to live this Christian Eucharistic life myself. And this is why the mass was always the center of the life of all the saints. It's why um, the saints so frequently went to mass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they began to love and live a Eucharistic life. And they had discovered here the source of strength which would strengthen them to live holiness. So in that second year, we really hope to help form and teach people who are already connected to the church about the Eucharist. But that year will culminate with one of the most exciting events of the revival, which will be the National Eucharistic Congress in the summer of 2024. So this is a very exciting opportunity for the Church of the United States. You know, the last time we had a, a Eucharistic Congress on a national level in our country was 1976 in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. and it was actually an international Eucharistic Congress, and uh, Cardinal Carol Wojtyła shared the stage with Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Of course, he would become Pope John Paul II just two years after that. And, and they're both now saints. And both now saints, right? And they were both present at this event, along with about a million people who came for that event. And uh, even some of the bishops uh, will talk about how they were there as seminarians or high school students, and the impact that that event had on them. I wasn't quite in high school yet. I was, I'm on the younger side of the bishops, you know, so, but, uh, but it was really a, a very important event for our country. And we've had a movement in our church of Eucharistic Congresses for, for several hundred years, 
we really want to renew that movement. We used to do them about every five years in the United States uh, up until the kind of mid 40s. And then um, we had the big one in 1976, but we haven't done anything since then. There are some dioceses that do, but. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Dioceses do them on a, on a diocesan level, many of them. Yeah, but this is a chance to, re- to renew the, the national tradition. And of course, the purpose of this Congress is one, to come together and celebrate the gift of the Eucharist. So to honor the Lord and to celebrate this gift, but also to receive great catechesis and inspiration and to have that experience of the church coming together in unity. And anyone who's been to a big event like a World Youth Day or um, understands the power of those events as the Holy Spirit moves when we come together uh, to really um, inspire and then to proclaim the, the truth of Jesus to the world. And that'll be the goal of that National Eucharistic Congress is to form and send all the members as missionaries, because we really hope the third year of the revival will be focused on the peripheries, that is, the people outside of the church. How do we share with them this greatest gift that Jesus gave us in the Eucharist? And how do we um, strengthen the fire of our people so that they're ready to go out and evangelize, you know, to make that conversion that we're all called to be missionary disciples. And so the, the Eucharistic Congress will really be focused on the inspiration that we want to be, then go out and share with the world. Mm-hmm. And probably the most recent example we have of a gathering like that would have been the Pope's visit for the World Day of Families uh, in 2015, when so many people, again, converged on Philadelphia uh, to, yeah. to be a part of that. So uh, that's good. You know, I want to talk a little bit. You, you mentioned the fact that we have data that shows that a lot of people just don't understand what the real presence is. You know, that even practicing Catholics have a hard time believing in the real presence. They consider it a symbol. They consider it all sorts of other things, but not understanding that it's the real presence, body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. Why is that so hard to explain to people? I think there's uh, several reasons. You know, first, just to point out, it was even hard in the day of Jesus. So if you read John chapter six, um, when Jesus is speaking about the Eucharist so clearly, you recognize that even some of his disciples at the time couldn't accept this teaching, that it was a difficult teaching for them to accept. Um, But I, I think today it has a lot to do with many of the struggles in our culture. And one of the big ones is the kind of, I would call it flattened view of our reality or what we might even call a scientistic view of reality. And that is that we've had such an influence of this idea that things are only true and understandable if they're provable by science. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea, uh, it comes from the enlightenment, but it really doesn't make sense. And it certainly doesn't do justice to reality, you know. There's so many things that I can't prove to you that, you know, I'd give my life for. Like, I can't prove my mother loves me, you know. I can, you know, I can give you examples of my mother's love for me. And, you know, but for all I know, my dad was playing her on the side or it wasn't really love. It was guilt, all those nice things that she did. You know, I can't prove it. But yet I, nothing in me doubts it because I know it's real. And this is the way that people of faith have always viewed reality. And it's the biblical way to view reality. So the fact that the sun comes up is not an accident of science. It's a miracle of God because it comes up every day. And God built this world that actually reveals his glory from the smallest flowers and to the greatest stars, right? 
And when we really come to understand the gift of the universe and the complexity of it, we realize what the scriptures say, which is the heavens are telling the glory of God. Or what St. Paul says when he says created things speak of the creator and the whole world is a sacrament. And so when we begin to see that the whole world is sacramental, then it's not such a leap to see the greatest miracle of all, the greatest sacrament of all. And of course, the seven sacraments are sacramental in a whole nother way because of God's power, right? Mm -hmm. St. Thomas says they effect what they signify. So surely they're signs and symbols, right? They speak a symbolic language, but they're not only signs and symbols. They cause what they signify. So the pouring of water isn't just a sign of cleaning. It actually cleanses the soul from sin, original and personal sin. It affects what it signifies. And the same thing happens in the Eucharist. When Jesus uh, said, this is my body, this is my blood, Jesus being God, his word is true. Mm -hmm. And as St. Thomas says, when he quotes this in his Adorote Devote, truth himself speaks truly or there's nothing true. And so when Jesus says, do this in memory of me, and he commands his priests to do those words in memory of him, there is a, a miracle of change that is affected in what was bread and what was wine. And the change affects the substance to the point that we would say there's no more bread there and there's no more wine there. The appearances of bread are there. The appearances of wine are there. All of the sensible qualities of bread and wine are there. But there now is what Jesus said, the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And where his body and blood are, there also is his human soul and his divinity. And so we say Jesus is really present here, body, blood, soul, and divinity, such that when I receive this, I receive a person into me. That when I come before him, I come before a person, the second person of blessed Trinity, the son of God, right? So, and I also then receive his divine life. And so it's very important to understand this is no mere symbol. And this has always been the Catholic Church's teaching. That's a good place for us to take a break. And after the break, we're going to talk some more with Bishop Andrew Cousins about the National Eucharistic Revival Project by the U.S. Bishops. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. As Americans wait for a final decision from the U.S. Supreme Court on overturning the Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion, Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie called on all Catholics to pray for an end to abortion and to redouble their efforts in support of pregnant women and their families. While a May 2nd leaked draft of the court's opinion indicates the high court seems poised to overturn the controversial 1973 decision and the 1992 Planned Parenthood v. Casey decision that affirmed Roe, Archbishop Laurie cautioned that it hasn't happened yet. 
Quote, a lot of people have worked and prayed very hard for this day, said Archbishop Laurie, chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Pro-Life Activities. And so I think that the pro-life community would be glad to see a final decision of the court that reverses Roe v. Wade and Casey. But we would also recognize that our work is not over because it does not end abortion in the United States. It simply brings it back to the states. Archbishop Laurie said the first work of the church and the pro-life movement is always the conversion of mind and heart. He encouraged more parishes in the Archdiocese of Baltimore to become engaged in a program started by the U.S. bishops called Walking with Moms in Need. The outreach, active in more than 45 parishes locally and many more around the country, raises awareness about already existing resources available to pregnant women and their families. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. There is no telling when the iconic blue and white dress worn by Judy Garland as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz will find a place like home. A federal judge May 23rd prevented the Catholic University of America from selling the iconic costume from the 1939 movie the day before it was scheduled to be auctioned. The preliminary injunction is in place until the costume's rightful ownership can be determined, a process that could take months or even years. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We're back on Catholic Review Radio, talking with Bishop Andrew Cousins of Crookston, Minnesota, about the U.S. Bishop's Eucharistic Revival Project. You talked about how we really kind of have to embrace that this is Jesus' body and blood, soul and divinity in the Eucharist. In the Archdiocese of Baltimore, we spent the last 12 months in a year of the Eucharist in preparation for this project. The theme was Encounter Christ's Presence, and it was focused on the four ways that the Lord is present. Christ in the Eucharist, Christ in the congregation, Christ in the Word, and Christ in the priest presider. Why are these four aspects so important in addition to understanding what you just talked about in terms of the real presence? Yeah, that's a great question. So those four uh, are beautifully taken from um, Vatican II's Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document on the liturgy, which really speaks about the different ways that Christ is present in his church. And uh, so all those ways are important because they all become part of the fullness of living a Christian life, and they complement each other. Even as the same Vatican II document says, the Eucharist is the most um, tangible presence, the most real presence. These other presences are real as well. Always loved the line of C.S. Lewis, who you know I, I have firm belief is in heaven, but he wasn't. He wasn't a Catholic, although he expressed a Catholic belief in the Eucharist for sure. And he has that wonderful line in his sermon, "The Weight of Glory," where he says, "Next to the Blessed Sacrament, the holiest thing you will ever encounter." is the person next to you. <laughs> and he says, because Jesus is present there, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever, a, whenever a person is baptized and living in a state of grace, the t- Trinity dwells there. And so every person deserves reverence and every, every human person is made in the image of God, even if, even if they're not baptized. So they deserve, deserve reverence just for that, every human life. But in terms of Christ's presence, He's continually present in the baptized soul, and he's, of course, present whenever two or three gather in his name, as he says in the scriptures. And he's also present in his word, which is his truth that speaks to our hearts 
and actually has the power to change our hearts so that faith can be awakened in us so we can recognize his presence also in the Eucharist, which is the fullness of his presence and really the foretaste of what heaven will be, where heaven we will experience that presence, not in sacrament, but in reality through the beatific vision. And so all these presences are important because together they allow us to experience the full reality of who Christ is and how he wants us to be in the world. But in a certain way, they all lead to the Eucharist, which is the source and the summit of our life, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the source and summit of all the sacraments. It's the source and summit of the whole work of preaching the gospel, Vatican II says. And so the Eucharist is where everything is headed in this life because it's the place where we most clearly encounter Jesus. And in that way, it's preparing us for heaven, which is what our true destiny is. And it's the closest thing we have on earth to that foretaste of heaven. Mm -hmm. As the person who's taken on this project, you certainly must have some personal experiences with the Eucharist, either when you were growing up that might've inspired your priesthood or since becoming a priest or a bishop. Can you share some of those stories with us? Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing with, with a lot of the big projects in my life um, I've often experienced they sort of just landed in my lap. I didn't come up with this idea. It was actually a <laughs> Bishop Barron who had the idea of doing a National Eucharistic Revival. He was the chair of the USCCB Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis before I was. So he mm-hmm. had that idea. And so it landed in my lap when I became the chair in November of 2020. That's really when I began to build and help to shape it and lead it. But you're certainly right. I I willingly did it because of my own love for the Eucharist. And uh, for me, certainly my experience of desiring to be a priest came from when I was a young altar boy. And I had that experience of kneeling close to the altar and experiencing Jesus's presence there and and knowing he was there and experiencing something happening in my heart because I could sense that Jesus was present there on the altar and wanting to be close to him on the altar. And I have a vivid memory of that, even as a, as a, I started serving mass when I was in first grade. So I made my first communion early because my parish priest had me do that. So I have a vivid memory of that from the very first grade. But then, you know, throughout my life, uh, my love for the Eucharist continued to grow and deepen. And I did have a really interesting experience when I was preparing to be ordained a priest, because, um, you know, I always believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist when somebody else an ordained priest said those words, but it occurred to me, what's going to happen when it's me? And when, when I'm the one celebrating the mass, will I be, will I believe Mm -hmm. that this is really Jesus, you know? And uh, I still remember very well, my first mass, which is coming up on 25 years ago, my 25th anniversary is May 31st. So June 1st was the first mass I said alone and was the celebrant at, and I still remember very well, you know, when I took, the bread in my hands. And I said those words of Jesus, this is my body given up for you. And then I raised up the host and I adored him and I set it on the altar. And I had no doubt when I genuflected that I was genuflecting before the Lord of all the universe. And it's the faith of the church really that supplies in those moments. Cause you know, I'm in the church and the church says that I'm a priest and that I have this power now. And it's actually one of the most beautiful experiences of the priesthood is to be the instrument of that saving power of Christ for the world in all the sacraments, but often in the, in the mass, you know.
Mm -hmm. That's very impressive and, and uh, happy anniversary and on your 25th there. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Where can people get more information about the Eucharist Revival Project and the National Eucharistic Congress? Yeah, go to eucharisticrevival.org, our website, which is www.eucharisticrevival.org, and sign up to be a member there. And then you'll be getting our weekly newsletter, which begins uh, right after the launch on June 19th. But you can also find there lots of things about resources. You can find information about the National Eucharistic Congress in 2024. And uh, the website, the 2.0 version, will be launched uh, very shortly here, right about the 1st of June. And then, as I mentioned, the newsletter will, will start coming out in the middle of June. And we're going to have some really wonderful national talented contributors to that newsletter. So it's going to be something you want to make sure you're getting to see each week as it comes into your inbox. Mm-hmm. And will those courses you talked about be on that website as well? Exactly. All of the free resources and courses are, are going to be linked on that website. Um, we've been given a, you know, a huge gift of um, basically a, a large website that we can store large video resources. And so we're very grateful to uh, the Augustine Institute inform.org for giving us that free space to store uh, courses in from all, all different people that have produced, whether that's, you know, Word on Fire or uh, the Augustine Institute themselves or Ascension Press, lots of other people producing resources that we'll be able to store in, in there so that people can access them for free. Sounds like a great plan. Well, for our local listeners in the Archdiocese of Baltimore, Archbishop William E. Lurie will close the Year of the Eucharist and launch the Eucharist Revival Project with a special Mass on the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Body and Blood of Christ, June 19th at the Cathedral of Mary, our Queen and Homeland, with Mass at 11, followed by a Eucharistic procession, as you discussed. Uh, That'll be going around the Cathedral grounds up in Homeland there. For more information on that event, visit archbalt.org and scroll down to the box for Encounter Christ's Presence. We have been talking today with Bishop Andrew Cousins of the Diocese of Crookston, Minnesota, about the U.S. Bishop's Eucharist Revival Project. Thank you so much for being with us today, Bishop Cousins. Thank you, Chris, and God blessings on your work there. Thank you. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.